Welcome everybody to the Startup Blender, the podcast about startup life and some other stuff. All right, let's start this amazing uh, podcast recording session. Hello, folks. Hello, everybody. Today is a very special day for us because we're doing another episode of Startup Blender podcast with an awesome guest. Matt from Lunicorn is here. How are you, Matt? Hey, I'm good, man. I love the name Startup Blender. It just you know, it reminds me of Will It Blend. Remember that show on YouTube? And they would just blend like iPhones and like iPads and things. Remember that? Will It Blend? iPhone 5 came out. Yeah, they were doing that. Yeah, I remember. It, it also, it, I don't know if you meant, meant, meant it this way, but do you know like the famous Google question, the Google entry-level employee question? You know what that is? Oh, uh, yeah, when they put you in the blender, what's your... Exactly. Way? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, mate, you've killed it there. Killed it with the name. Super, super relevant. <laughs> Hello, everyone. How are you doing? So why, why we came up with this name is... Uh, so startup world is such diverse, you know? And so if you imagine it as a blender, you put a lot of different stuff and these people just blend between each other. So and po- chop it up, slice it into little bits. Yeah. That's really what you meant. <laughs> the idea of the podcast is that we want to interview as many different kind of people as possible and show different mm. perspectives. So then in the end, we have nice smoothie, you know, startups. <laughs> there it is. I didn't get a smoothie. Maybe if we did this in person, I would hope that if we did this in person, you would give me a smoothie. But now you've taken part in the Startup Blender. Here is, what smoothie would you like? Pick from the list. <laughs> Pick from the list, yeah. Uh, you like startup smoothie? You like VC smoothie? You like... Uh, how are you? How's, your, how's Lisbon? Start. How is Lisbon, mate? Well, it is absolutely my favorite city at the moment. Um, and I don't believe that'll change for too long. Seriously, I've fallen in love with Lisbon. So backstory for anyone who's listening to this who has no idea why I'm in Lisbon. Let's give you some context. <laughs> I, uh, last year, I sold my company uh, to a Spanish company. So I moved to Spain for four months. I know Spain's not Lisbon. I'm getting there. Don't worry. Slow down. Uh, so I spent four months in Barcelona, uh, basically towards the end of the year. Uh, I've been in Norway for the last four years, uh, building my former business. Um, and then I moved here um, in January, basically, and the night before lockdown, which wasn't the best timing, of course, but I have uh, made the most of it. And funnily enough, fell in love with the city during lockdown. And now we're, uh, we're coming into our fourth week now out of lockdown or the staged you know, relaunch. Mm-hmm. Next week, it'll be uh, all pretty much almost back to normal. And last Monday, restaurants were allowed inside again and all that kind of stuff. So I honestly, I've totally fallen for the city. Uh, so, you, dude, you have so much amazing experiences coming your way. Uh, there's an amazing ecosystem of people here. We were just talking off, off, uh, off air about um, the new digital nomad being location independent, which is what I am now as well. I'm location independent. And this place is just thriving with a, a mix, a smorgasbord of amazing people doing incredible things, all of which are um, succeeding in what they're doing as an individual selling a service or working for a startup from San Francisco, but living here. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I want, really want to, I'm really excited to come in this one because uh, it is becoming like a new hub for this location independent, aka digital nomad <laughs> kind of. New age digital nomad, exactly. No. But yeah, let's. Uh, I'm sure most of our listeners know about you, but for those who have no idea what's Lunicorn and what you're doing, um, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What you're doing? Uh, quick backstory group uh, South African, born in South Africa. Uh, going real backstory, right to the beginning. Born in 1990. No, I'm kidding. I went to the full backstory, but I was born in South Africa in Johannesburg. Grew up there until I was eight, went to boarding school in England. Uh, hence the British accent. 
And yeah, then I did my universities and started working in venture capital in London uh, 10 years ago almost. So worked in BC for several years, very luckily invested in two unicorns during that time frame, Farfetch Investia Collective was part of the team that did that. And that sort of, you know, obviously I was very lucky to my first, my first job out of my master's was venture capital, right? Growth stage VC for Condé Nast Investments, investing, I could write checks for one to $10 million and things like that. So really fortunate that, you know, in the glory days of London's VC scene, which was post 2010, I was investing in European um, media companies basically for Condé Nast. And then out of that sort of decided to go on the operational side because obviously, uh, unfortunately, things are changing now. But, um, so I, I, I then pivoted into working in several different startups as an interim COO and CFO, raising uh, several million pounds for some of those companies, then moved to Norway because I was dating a Norwegian girl and all decisions, all good decisions in life are made for love. So I moved to Norway. We broke up three months later, but <laughs> I was running uh, an early stage investment program really cool program called Angel Challenge because many of you founders or, or even investors listening to this will probably re- relate to this that, you know, we were just speaking a second ago, mate, about how there is so much support available to startups. Think about it. Incubators, accelerators, corporate programs, uh, freebies from Amazon, uh, AWS. And there's so much support and, and, and fantastic. It needs that. We want to increase the success rate of founders, right? But what about investors? Seriously, like name, give me all the programs exist for investors. Um, let me start. Um, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, no, no. You're, 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 that, that, like, if you knew about like 15, that would kill my punchline. So I'd be like, oh, damn it. I asked the wrong guy. No, there aren't any, basically. It's almost like this. If you can afford to invest, you've obviously, you obviously know what you're doing, right? But a lot of investors are doctors and lawyers and accountants and, or, or inherited money or just did really well in, in, in something completely different to tech. And then they want to diversify. They want to learn and they want to invest. And they have no idea where to find startups. Well, firstly, what is a startup? Um, how do I manage a, you know, an investment, a cap table? How much equity should I take? Too little. To, that's where you hear the horror stories, right? And then also, this, this is the reason that angel investors, like not many of them have amazing returns because they'll either invest once, twice, or thrice. And obviously, those three investments are lessons, right? But they might invest too much, like $50,000 each one. So they're like, should I lost $150,000? This is not the right place for me. But actually, if they'd taken a few precautions, invested less, and then on their sixth investment, uh, investing the same amount of money in total, they might have actually returned their, all their money and more. So I, in, in Norway, I started running basically an investor accelerator. Uh, so you were helping investors to become better? Exactly. Startup invest. Think about a startup uh, accelerator, the normal one, uh, Y Combinator, all these programs, right? swap out the founders for investors, swap out the program of like teaching them to grow and scale to how to find companies where, you know, and how to manage an investment process. And also like, so what we did is, and um, it was founded by these two amazing, amazing Norwegian entrepreneurs um, who are a couple. See, couples uh, are also very successful sometimes. Anyway, I joined them as the investment director and I ran 12 programs. We invested 42 million kroners in, sorry, 65 million kroners in 42 companies over the time I was there. And these are all early stage investments. So what we did is we have 20 to 30 investors uh, on, and anyone who's like amazed by this, take the blueprint and recreate it because I have not still, I've still yet to see anyone do this anywhere else in the world. Tallinn would be a great place. Maybe they've got things, I don't know. Um, Copenhagen maybe, but this is in Oslo, Norway. And uh, yeah, we we had 20 to 30 investors uh, came on from like, literally from a 25 year old, someone who saved up a bit of money who wanted to invest. They all had to invest 50,000 Norwegian kroners, six and a half thousand dollars or something like that. So um, 20, 30 of them, there was typically between 120 and $150,000 to be invested. So we made them all invest together so that they lost their, their virginity in investing. 
And we would in, we invite in a bunch of really cool companies and also some really bad companies. And we would teach them over eight weeks, eight, nine weeks, one night a week, four hours, four to 8 p.m. on a Wednesday, for example. Day one, you know, like what, what the startup development cycle, the startup funding cycle. Okay, then we introduce them to 20 companies. And then we taught them how to review and evaluate. And together, they all had to invest as a cohort of 20 or 30 investors. The start, one of the startups would win, you know, well, get as an equity investment as well, convertible notes, would get, uh, uh, you know, 125, 150,000 seed investment, managed all, all these investors into a syndicate. So one, one entity. And, you know, it was win-win for everyone. Yeah. And it's a great program anyway. So I ran that for two years. And then out of that, I decided to uh, basically launch a media company. That was basically the issue that I had at the time was that there was so, you know, there's so much hype and interest around the startup tech industry, but very little video content about about it. Like, yeah, as we were just talking, it's just, mm. and I mean, there's so much like travel content, and everybody's like, oh, how to travel, how to do this, how to, but nobody is actually talking about startups and stuff. Exactly. And I, through the, through the two years I was running Angel Challenge, the, that investment program, uh, I, I was teaching. I taught. I, I ran a classroom of 20, 30 wannabe entrepreneurs, uh, sorry, investors. And I taught them how to invest in startups uh, from my experience, both as an angel and a VC, and also having worked on the startup side, right? So that also made me, I mean, I love to perform and entertain. It's like my passion is to perform and entertain and, and educate. That's sort of my, my passion there. And so I was a teacher. I, my ambition still was to do a PhD and be a professor because I just love to teach. That's like I genuinely just love to teach, whether it's kids or it's 60 year old people who want to learn how to invest in startups. Like sometimes it was. I loved it. So I brought this sort of like energetic flair to it, which it, you know it hadn't seen before. So then I thought, and I was obviously then talking on uh, big stages, and I was doing slush, and I was doing all these big, you know, normal tech events that we all know and go to and love. So I thought I'm going to start to create like a couple of shows. Uh, about the startup scene. So I decided to quit everything, give up everything, figure out how much money I could live on for the, you know, how long I needed to. And I launched uh, The Lunacorn, it was called at the time, in uh, August 2018, with one episode. I created an episode on the city that I lived in and loved, St Oslo. Yeah. Oslo's startup ecosystem, a three and a half minute Facebook only video that was optimized for mobile because I saw that mobile video is the future of media. And it got 150,000 views. Everyone was talking about it in a tiny Oslo, which is 10 people. Yeah, you saw the one. I love you. Thank you, man. You're one of those 150,000 views. And everyone was talking about it, all the 15 people <laughs> that lived in Oslo. And uh, and then, you know, then basically, like, the deal started rolling in. I, then I did a deal with Microsoft. Then I did a deal with the German government. Then I raised one and a half million seed round. And before you knew it, a year and a half later, we, we've done, I mean, we did, I don't know how many, 250 pieces of content of our own about 700 pieces of white label video content focusing on communicating this, the world of startup and technology in an easily understandable way. And uh, we sold video services effectively um, on a white label B2B angle, which was about 90% of what we did. But everything that anyone's ever seen is the stuff that we've done. So we've done a lot more. You just haven't seen it because it wasn't our branding. That was just showing, showing what we could do to, brand, to, to, to market ourselves. And then, yeah, that's, sort of, that's where it came to. And I sold it last year. Yeah, that's amazing. I have one question. How did this idea, how did you come up with this idea to um, recreate this Mariah Carey song about? <laughs> oh yeah, the, the Christmas song I did. Hey, if you're listening to this or you're watching this and you haven't seen it, you got to go check out my Christmas song. I did. A, I did something shocking. Well, so I, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed, like I said, the performance and the entertainment side of things, right? So I've created a few live shows um, focused on. I, I created a show where I put 
two co-founding teams up against each other. And I called it co-founder combat ability, you know, because co-foundership is all about compatibility, right? And I put two co-founding teams and they had to basically prove that they were the best co-founding team. It's like eight miles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's a game show. So I created a game show and I did that live. And then, so I obviously like created a few sketches. Like I also have a bit of an interest in comedy. So I tried to bring some comedy into the startup industry by creating this Christmas song that you're referencing, which is I, re I replaced the word, all I want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey, to all I want for Christmas is revenue. And I rewrote the lyrics, you know, the startups like, I can't keep asking my parents. I'm begging Santa for more leads. You know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, if you haven't heard it, it's uh, shamelessly slightly funny, but also embarrassing. But uh, I'm quite happy to embarrass myself. All in the name of startup entertainment. I, I mean, it was my song of Christmas, to be honest. <laughs> Thank you, mate. But okay, let's go back to the times when you were living in London. And uh, yep. how did you start being a VC? Like, how did you come across this opportunity? Um, and like, was it a risky move for you back then? Or like, how, how did that happen? I don't think getting into VC is ever risky. Um, <laughs> I think being not being in VC is risky. Uh, it's a safe bet, VC. You have, a, you have a job, you have a salary, you invest in companies, you're on the buy side. Being in VC is amazing because you're on the buy side. People come to you asking you for money, pitching you for advice, all that stuff, right? No, so I was lucky. I got into, I got into VC. I shouldn't have worked in VC. Uh, I got lucky. So you know, if you look at a lot of the people who work in VC, the analysts, the principals, all these great people, they're all great people and um, also very smart people coming from Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard, and they're all, all their ex-founders with exits and all this kind of stuff. And I was quite lucky that I, uh, I was leaving my master's at you know, 22 or whatever, however old I was. And I stumbled upon, I quite liked fashion. And I, and I was about to go working in, work in banking. I had like a job offer from Morgan Stanley or whatever. And I was about to accept that in commodities. It's not really the world that I was that interested in. <laughs> so I thought before I go sell my soul to the finance devil, I will look at like if actually I could do some finance for like GQ magazine or something like that. And I got redirected to Condé Nast's website because that's the company that owns GQ. I never even heard of them. And I was scrolling through the jobs and it's all like fashion related content writers, you know, publishers, all this stuff. And then I stumbled upon this job that says investment analyst. And it was an investment analyst in a newly formed corporate venture fund, a $200 million corporate venture fund out of London investing in Europe for Condé Nast. And I stumbled upon that, right? So obviously a lot of the typical VC candidates hadn't stumbled upon that because they weren't looking for jobs in fashion. So I, I applied and I was obviously the most relevant candidate because I had a finance background and master's and everything. So I got the job, uh, which so that was just honestly dumb luck. But, uh, you know, it was an amazing experience to start my career in venture capital, investing growth stage to in a very small team, myself, and my boss, Jan Zabota out of London. Incredible experience. Super grateful for that. And Farfetch obviously is one of our investments, which is a $23 billion company to this day. What's the biggest investment you have made? Like, well, the most money you have given? To Amount of money? Farfetch. So, you know, we led their series. I led it. Well, as part of the team, we led their series B, uh, which is a, um, a $20 million round in 2013, March. And then I was doing the pro rata for the $66 million round, uh, the series C with Vitruvian Capital, uh, which was in uh, 2014 or something like that. And in 2015, there was like the 150 million round. And so, so that was just enormous, right? 
But so we had we put away about forty nine million dollars in the time that I was there, I think, into a bunch of companies, um, and obviously Farfetch Investia Collective is one of the other ones. So um, so yeah, in the many millions, man, it's kind of crazy. I, I do remember this amazing thing because like we talk about all these crazy things like numbers and VC and billions, all these numbers, but it's crazy when you actually are transacted. You like you know you as obviously none of it's my money. I'm not you know VCs aren't rich. I've said this before. Like VCs yeah. typically aren't rich, so. You know, I remember calling their office in, in New York and I was like, I was asking for five, the first time I did this, I was like asking for $5 million to be transferred to, to this account. And they're like, yeah, no worries, all right. Then we had to go through a few like protocol things. And I'm like, and she's like, yeah, cool. So it's exactly 5 million or like, you know, should we account for something? I was like, yeah, it's exactly 5 million. And I remember when the, when the money landed in the startup's account, it was like 4,999,984. It was like a couple of pennies off. Mm-hmm. And it'd been some Forex thing or some interbank yeah. exchange that I hadn't accounted for. And I was literally like shocking. I thought I was gonna lose my job. And I was like saying to my boss, I was like, I will literally run over to the startup office with that like 13p that was missing and I'll give it to them right now. And he's like, dude, chill, like it's 13p, like no one's no one's no one's getting fired here, relax. But that was amazing when I was like the first time I did that at like 22 or three years old, asking to transfer five million dollars. And then and then it just got bigger than that. It was crazy. Yeah, I can imagine this crazy experience just being like, oh 13 million euros. Yeah. Um, I from like as I imagine like the VC world, like as, as a role to be a VC, I think you are like such a behind the scenes kind of person in the startup world because you are just a person that is uh, giving a mentorship or giving out the money to the startups. Uh, but then you ended up being like a host in this uh, startup events and you know on the spotlight. So how's this transition for you? Like how, how did that happen? <laughs> Yeah, uh, great question. So, you know, there's something that you can't kill in people, which is like an internal burning passion for something. Some people, it's fight, you know, numbers. Some people, it's, you know, it can be anything, paddling or, you know, whatever, right? And when I was a child, I was a child actor. And when I was about 13 years old, I stopped doing that because I, I you know, I was, it, unfortunately, my, my environment influenced me um, and someone should have encouraged me to stick on doing what I was doing. But I, my environment, my, none of my friends were, uh, I, you know, so I, I decided to stop doing that. So I'd always had this like passion for performance and, 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 and kind of entertainment mm-hmm. communication in a sort of engaging way. And I went down my route in a completely different way. I went to undergrad in economics, postgrad in investment management, finance. And then, you know, then I started working in VC. But fortunately, the world of uh, tech and entrepreneurship, you know, we love our pictures. We love our staged events, right? So through that, I started to rediscover and obviously, when I was a VC and I was investing in a very specific space, fashion tech was quite niche. Even though London's saturated, and I wasn't anything special. I was investing in a special space, which kind of made us a special investor, i.e. me by default. And my, my boss didn't really like to talk publicly. So he was like, yeah, you could do it. And I was like, uh, amazing. So I still like, you know, when I was 23, I was talking publicly about interesting things. And then I rediscovered my love for performance and entertainment like that. So gradually... I, I, you know, I did, I would do more talks and then they would ask me back. And then this event would say, Hey, could you be the MC, the master of ceremony for the event? And then I was, you know, the kind of poster boy for Oz Innovation Week for four years in a row and um, doing all their video content, hosting the big finales and all the events. And I loved it. And I would, then that's what kind of inspired me to do my own, my own shows. And then obviously that's sort of what Lunacorn was all about as well, because during my two years at Angel Challenge, when I was teaching investors um, to invest, I was on a mini stage at least. And then we would have a grand finale where we'd have a demo day. Cause you know, we all love our demo days in this industry. 
in front of 200 people. And I would make that into a show. I wouldn't go, hi, everyone, welcome. We've got 12 companies today pitching. You know, I would make it into a show. I would write jokes. I would think about like music. I would think about lighting. I would think about venue. I would think about everything to make this a memorable event. And then obviously now I'm, I do that as a, my side hustle as I'm a professional MC and I, I host a lot of big events um, around, around the world. Uh, and it's a great side hustle to have. Uh, and yeah, so that's sort of how I discovered my, my love for performance and things like that. Yeah, because I love the stage and attention and listening so much. Um, I'm not host on this, like uh, the shows you just mentioned, but, um, and I rediscovered it actually uh, from karaoke events. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah, and then- Come on, show us now. What's your favorite song? Give me Robbie Williams' Angels. Let's go. Mouse <laughs> Yeah. And then this uh, karaoke bar offered me to be their MC. So I, w- I would like do exactly like that. I'll be like, in the next stop on the stage, this, this and that. And then after that, got into startup world and started hosting some stuff. And yeah, here I am doing the podcast and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Amazing, man. But there's something to that. To anyone who's listening to this or watching this, you know, and it's sort of, I, I think often we get held up in one career and one path i think Uh, and there is a lot of merit to that like do one thing and do it great right of course there's so much merit to that but so i fill my time with uh, i very much believe in you have like a passion a purpose a profession and an interest and there's a those are effectively four careers right so uh, i have a passion for education uh, and and sort of performance right so I uh, so that kind of crosses over all verticals of media. So, for example, I host I host two podcasts, right? Um, the largest gender diversity comp- uh, podcast in the Nordics called the She Community. The podcast is called Breakfast of the CEO. I interview all the top CEOs in the Nordics of the top you know 100 companies about the angles for gender diversity and inclusion. And then I have one about sexual health because I have an interest in promoting what it is to be a modern man. Yeah. Because uh, I can go into that topic if you want me, I'll save you from that for now. But I just have a passion in the fact. I that saw the video. Huh? I saw the video actually. It was a funny story. So once I was on this house party just recently, and we yeah. are drunk. We we're like we we're just chilling, and I was like, "Do you know this technology about hands-free hand jobs?" And then I showed this video that you have. It was everybody loved it. It was amazing. Yeah. Thank you, man. That's really that's really nice to hear that actually. Yeah, because we put a lot of effort into those videos, and you know, and obviously we're. You try not to let the number of views really impact you, but it always does. So it's always nice to know that someone enjoyed it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, I think that a lot of people can make time for an interest or a passion in the evening after work or as part of that, or if it's exercise, making time you can do. So I, you know, I think you can do anything as long as you make time for it. So not looking at your career as one role in one industry that has to scale up the levels in that industry. You can have a career as a, as a, as a karaoke host. Yeah. And you know what, like, there's a great example of um, talking about like wealth development and growth. Like there's a great example of someone who basically works a normal job and they do like one bar, you know, they like to go to the bar with their friends, like this one bar, uh, you know, and they go there like two, three times a week, typically on weekends and maybe once in the week or whatever. And, you know, they're not getting smashed or anything. They just enjoy to sit in this bar and have a drink and catch up. Right. This one person goes, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to actually work at the bar uh, for one of those evenings. Like, so I'm actually going to work behind the bar, spend a bit of time with my friends, but I'm going to earn $100, $150, $200 my time there in that evening. And that money gets reinvested on, and every month it's like $500. They invest that money um, straight into an index fund, for example. Like after so many years, they've got a 
actually quite a decent amount of money saved up and invested. So anyway, you can turn some kind of side interest or passion into actually a financial asset for you. I've done that with hosting and performing. And now that's like my investment money that just goes into an investment fund effectively, or I invest that in startups. And yeah, it's just an interesting one. Like maybe if you, you know, you start to get remunerated for your time doing that karaoke thing. Um, yeah, uh, do it. Entry. But now, so since I'm doing these startup adventures, uh, I get a lot of requests to write a lot of content. So I kind of, all of a sudden I became a copywriter. So that's how I can afford now to be like a digital nomad or you call, uh, what was it? <laughs> Individ- Location in the, so yeah, let, let's do this on the podcast. because we spoke about this before, right? So anyone who's listening to this is curious about what we mean by location independent or location independence. It's basically the new word for the term digital nomad, because digital nomad has got too many connotations with, you know, basically just chilling on a beach with a laptop. And also this whole, you know, new world of remote work. It's not remote work. None of us, the world isn't remote anymore. You can't really remote work anymore. You have to go to some island off Mozambique maybe, or somewhere in the Caribbean and and it might have patched or not. No, but that's the thing or not. (laughs) <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, so, so the, the, the term is location independence because you're location independent, right? Tallinn, Estonia, you guys are sort of leading the way in that with the digital residency and things, right? So allowing people to do that. I actually did it. I've got a, a e-residency. I haven't started the company yet. Um, cause I still have to, you know, this year I'm a tax resident in Norway. Um, anyway, that's another conversation. Location independence. Let's start using it, kids. It's a new word. All right. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, everybody. Keep that in mind. Use location independent instead of autonomy. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm very, I was very interested to ask you about, uh, well, you sort of already mentioned the founder story of uh, Lunicorn, but I want to ask you, like, what were the challenges for you to start doing this and then, you know, bring it to where it is now? Because I, I feel like it will become a huge thing soon. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, in the... the- the, the hurdles, I mean, so obviously I was running a company, obviously a startup, a media startup. We weren't building any kind of innovative tech. So I, I fortunately, I didn't have the issues of managing developers and the costs associated with that, but I did raise money. And, you know, I had all the teething problems of running a company and things like that, right? You know, managing people really. Um, it's different managing people in a team for a company versus your own company. It, it's just so different because it's like you own everything. It's all down to you. You know, if you, if you manage a team at a company, sorry, passion is different. Like you feel more passionate. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, you have, you, you control the resources. So it's very different. So that was definitely, of course, a, you know, a learning lesson and everything like that. Um, and I did things wrong and I did things right. Right. That's just part of the journey. Some of the biggest hurdles were understanding which platform should we publish on? Because, you know, the majority of content platforms today, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and they're all saturated. How do you stand out for this day? They say you can only grow now through reels on Instagram. You can only, YouTube is now saturated. It's reached market equilibrium. There are as many people watching as as many people creating content. So sort of, you know, you've kind of hit this kind of, this, this, this uh, threshold where it's very hard to stand out unless the other platforms push you or you do something outstanding or you hit something viral. Uh, TikTok is still one of those apparently uncharted spaces where you can grow quickly and develop a brand, but obviously monetization on that is still being worked out and things like that. So we had those teething problems. Now we decided to go on Facebook and that's what we, we hit Facebook at the same time, like Nas Daily was really getting his, 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 his peak. So Facebook is, and it's still to this day is uh, trying to push video, but you know, no one watches video on Facebook. They go to YouTube or, you know, IGTV or whatever. Right. So creating videos on that platform helped. Literally we got a lot of different views and then 
we we were always trying to figure out what what where where do people want to watch that so i've i've really struggled with understanding does, where do startup people if you're a startup person listening to this do you watch videos and if you do where uh, and it just felt like this industry wasn't really that much of a big video consumer. I really felt that. I was like, damn it, we're making these videos and they, they don't, no one cares, you know? Um, Everybody is just out trying to get investment and they don't really care about you. <laughs> and, and that's one of the biggest, biggest hurdles as well is, is, is an emotional one around you're, you're creating content and pushing it out there and it's a drop in the ocean. And, you know, you really have to understand that you have to look at the bigger picture. You know, some of the videos we made were when, you know, fizzled out, right? Irrelevant. And we might have put a lot of time and effort and energy into that. So you have to somehow at some point understand the 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 trade-off between time, effort, energy, and result. But also what is the result? A lot of our videos were branded and, and paid for, right? So like we, you know, like we achieved success financially effectively, right? But you still weight so much of the success factor on people's likes, comments, shares, interactions, and all that kind of stuff. Because we're only human, we're people pleasers. And I'm definitely one of those, unfortunately. Try to be better at that now. So those were the hurdles, definitely. Understanding that you shouldn't put all your value and worth on people's um, reactions to videos. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. But I really like this, like in this 100-day challenge you do, you have great combination of like travel videos and then do like tech videos. And then mm. and I really like that you kind of, uh, like it's not only you doing this. So recently Rufus has started to do some stuff. So mm. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. So obviously I sold the company last year and now the company is owned by um, a company called Attender, which is a customer care company based in Malaga, Spain. Uh, they were th- they were my third largest investor, so I know them all very well. So now I'm with the company for three years, obviously, because I've got um, an earn out with them, and and hopefully more. It's going very well so far. And they they then so so you know they we we rebranded and we relaunched. We relaunched on YouTube. Uh, so on the first of March, I decided to start a hundred day video challenge because, like I've just mentioned, it's so impossible to stand out today doing anything unless you pay for press, and it's very difficult to even do that anymore to get traction and engagement. So, and they, they challenged me. So now I run, the, I run their media company, which is my company, my old company, right? We just rebranded and things like that. And I obviously have ownership in their company because it was a part share swap as well for the acquisition. And they fund me to do that. And so I was like, if we're going to do this, and we're going to figure out if this is actually viable and that this is going to work, it's creating a YouTube channel. Because, you know, like I said, we focused on Facebook when I was running my own company, the Lunacorn. We, YouTube was just an afterthought always. Have some regrets about that, but there's no such thing as a regret. Just wish you started earlier, that's all. So we were like, all right, all on YouTube, let's go. And I was like, we, we started a little bit end of last year and, you know, mixed results, very little growth interaction, you know, demeaningly low, slow, because we'd had millions of views on, 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 on Facebook and things. And then we go into YouTube and it's just like fizzling out, right? So I thought, all right. Like, really? Because I did some podcasts, on, live podcasts on Facebook. It had like a couple of thousand views and then put the same video on YouTube. And it has like seven. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. So what we decided to do was, well, I didn't tell Mike. So I, I, I've got an, uh, initially he was my editor then, a guy called Rufus, right? And he, he travels with me and goes, where's where I go? He brought his girlfriend here too. They live just down the road. And I, I just basically had an epiphany one evening. I was like, I'm going to do a hundred day video 
challenge. So I, I'm going to make a video every single day because, you know, there's a few ways to hack YouTube and it's consistency over time, daily videos, vlogging, you know, finding a format. And in that hundred days, we will find a format or we will find a series idea that'll work and it'll stick. And we have already, and we're 50, I just released, actually, when we started this podcast, the, fifth, uh, the 57th video went out, we're on day 57 now. And thank you for your views, by the way. And anyone who's listening to this, go check it out. Lunacorn on YouTube. That's unicorn with an L, Lunacorn. Um, and we are now 57 days in. Our channel has grown over 300,000 views in that time frame. We've grown over 2,000 subscribers in that time frame. So we have hacked it. We've growth hacked it. It has obviously been a massive undertaking because I'm making a video every single day. Some of those videos are really complicated. Some of those are just very easy in an hour to edit. Um, but, you know, it's like uh, looking at what we have, I have a, a knowledge that I can talk about topics pretty you know, uh, instantly put a camera in my face and I can talk about a topic and I can add some entertainment value to it. And then also I Rufus, he's a highly talented video editor and creative. So now uh, I've started to also to help him career develop as well and grow instead of him just being the, behind the camera, bring him in front of the camera. And he's not, and also it just means that I don't have to do a video every day. Genius. <laughs> so it's win-win. He's growing and developing. I, uh, and, and you know, and the channel's growing. And so that's what we're doing at the moment. I, I urge anyone who ever really wants to know if something is going to work or not is to do a hundred day challenge. Now that doesn't have to mean you do everything every day. Uh, Cause that is definitely overpowering. And I have even made a video about feeling like I might burn out, but I found the balance now. Um, so reach out to me if you have an idea about hundred, something you want to achieve. And, and a hundred day plan is something I can definitely help you or advise you on um, getting going. That's that's amazing. I have one follow up question. Like uh, this, everybody in startup world is really really well known with the fail stories and fun. Like there's even an event series about it, fuck up nights. You know where? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been I've been part of that actually. I did I did one of those. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your funniest and um, you know most ridiculous fuck up that you've had in the startup journey? I mean, I've had many, mate, but I, one that I, one I actually did on the, on the fuck up nights was talking about, so I, you know, I've done, I've done three books, right? So this is my first book. I have it here. This is my first book, um, which is the startup buzzword dictionary, right? There's so many buzzwords in the startup world. So I created a cartoon character, did a cartoon illustrated dictionary of the 22, 23 most popular terms. They start with bootstrapping and it goes in order of like your company. So it starts with, uh, Hold on, here we go. It starts with bootstrapping, is MVP, and it goes all the way to exit, right? So, you know, hockey stick, and, and it's, you know, co-working. It's really funny. And then you scan the QR codes and it goes to a video on our website, right? Or, or on YouTube. The Startup was ridiculous. That was my first book, right? But my mistake with this book was I ordered 2,000 copies. I still have a thousand copies. <laughs> so that was like, uh, it was, I mean, it's paid for itself. Like I, the first 500 copies I sold paid for, paid for all the 2000. Yeah. And then uh, I gave away the Lex 500. And yeah, long story short, that was a massive, it's like, if you're ever going to do this, I, I can trust me, I know some hacks now, you don't have to order so many books, but like, I thought it'd be a good idea to order 2000 copies. Yeah. And now I'm stuck with a thousand books, not stuck with them because like, you know, I, they're the best gift in the world um, to give anyone. They're like really grateful for them. And it's just a fun thing. I'm very proud of it. It's also my proudest moment, but I was like, when I ordered 2000 copies, oh my God. <laughs> so many books and uh yeah i was hustling story and now like they were been in my now ex-girlfriend's basement so now i have to do something with them as well so anyway anyone who wants to re read me some stories let me know huh. well yeah well i'll definitely love to get that book too mm -hmm. seems like amazing tell, tell us about uh, your life in barcelona for four months and now lisbon 
Yeah, so what I was planning to do was um, I had this show called Startup Cities, uh, which was the basis to that first show I did Oslo on Oslo, um, which was the which was the birth of my former company, the Lunacorn. So that show was really really cool. Is I'd go to a startup city and make an episode about it in like three four minutes, um, and I would spend three four days there. So I thought I'd flip that on its head, and I would spend three four months there in the city and may and then make lots of different pieces of content about it, interviewing entrepreneurs and all that kind of stuff. You know, sort of a startup tra- travel show effectively like uh interviewing entrepreneurs and how they do it how how easy is it for you to start a company in that city where would you go what incubators what co-working spaces you know what industries are thriving what corporates are investing all that kind of stuff right what labor is available to you so i started doing that in barcelona um and yeah i started to interview some interesting people all those videos are still on our channel so check them out and then uh, when we moved we realized that wasn't working in terms of like the growth that we wanted and, and stuff like that so when I moved to Lisbon, yeah, that's when we decided to like pivot and go, all right, let's go all in for a hundred days, yeah. making lots of different types of content. And, you know, I even started doing these funny VC reaction videos and things like that. But oh, to answer your okay. question, yeah. Man, I love that so much because <laughs> that's good. I told you, I'm a huge fan of hip hop. So whenever new music comes out, I always look at reaction videos. And when I saw yeah. you were doing that about stuff, <laughs> like, this is so awesome. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah. It's been fun to do, and you know, it's it's taken off with you know a lot of tens of thousands of views on those videos. Like um, the one you did about Silicon Valley final pitch because Silicon Valley yeah. is my favorite TV show ever. <laughs> Mate, it's amazing. No, it's been fun, man. But um, but thank you, thank you again for for, for watching, man. Um, any any recommendations to be better are always welcome. Um, so yeah, so now I'm in Lisbon doing this hundred day challenge. Day fifty seven is today, and I think June seventh is day one hundred. I'm going to be in Oslo then. So like I said, I'm leaving end of the May, unfortunately. I have to because of the 183-day rule, which yeah. is something that, you 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 know, if you want to be location independent, you need to know that you can't spend more than 183 days in any country. Otherwise, that country could ask you for taxes on your income. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask that, actually. What, what's kind of the next steps for your project? Mm. So uh, the channel is growing. Mm. Continue to grow it. And the ambition is to basically build, um, a, well, it's basically to continue on doing what I was doing with the, my former company now as, as, a, as a media entity of the new company that acquired us. So I'm sort of tasked by them to create a media company. And we're, we're kind of following a bit of a slide bean model, creating a really cool channel that has you know, genuine and honest origins in trying to educate and inform people about interesting topics. We're taking a bit of a different angle to them because we're, you know, we're, we're focusing a bit more on the entertainment aspect of things, whereas they're very much on the information side. We, we're, we're infotainment. So we're blending information and entertainment by creating, you know, like the VC reaction videos are like, yeah, it's entertainment, but you actually learn stuff because I'm talking about interesting things along the way, right? So it's sort of blending uh, that, that stuff. And, you know, um, we, what's next for us? Good question. You know, the, I'm, I'm in the middle of the 100, day, 100 days, right? So that was to decide on what would be next. Like, what are we going to double down on? So we're going to obviously after the 100 days, stop doing a day of daily video, I'm sure, because it's just obviously, uh, it's unrealistic. However, I think we, we've, we've identified some shows that will work um, and continue to sort of develop those. And as long as they add value to our audiences. And so this is the model that I'm applying. And anyone listening to this or watching this, please, take this and replicate it. It's called the three C's. It's content, community, commerce. So you create engaging content and you land on a structure and a, and a, and a strategy and a rhythm and, and all that stuff that, that works for your style of content for your audience. And you can only figure that out by testing and trialing, by bumping your head, by making mistakes, right? So we're in that, that phase right now, this 100-day challenge. Then 
through that, we land on a few shows or ideas or concepts, and then we build our community on those. It's what anyone does with a podcast. It's what anyone does with a TV show. You build a community around that, right? Or anything like that. And then finally, the commerce angle, you monetize that audience, uh, whatever it is, whether it's merch, like T-shirt, like Mr. Beast, burger stores, or you, or you, do, um, or you do a course, or you, do, you, know, you set a product or something like that, right? Um, that is the plan. Uh, content, community, commerce, in that order. The next country for you will be Norway. I have to go back because, yeah, unfortunately, my girlfriend and I broke up. So we've got to go back. She's selling the flat. So I've got to resolve some things and do some content in there for June. And then July and August are a bit uncertain right now, whether I'll stay in the Nordics or not. However, from September to November, I will be in Malaga, Spain, because that's where the parent company is now, Attender. And then my ambition, being location independent now, is to travel to Cape Town, which is where my family are from from November or, you know, December till March next year. Uh, so obviously the beauty about what I do is that I create content wherever I am. So I would then travel there and then make it what I'm doing about here, there basically. And that should hopefully be interesting for our audience because we're going to interview interesting entrepreneurs and in different business ideas and different places and stuff, mixing up a bit of how to's business and travel, right? All the beautiful things, startup tourism a little bit. And then finally, because I love Lisbon so much, I am considering moving back here in 2022, uh, maybe even buying a place and maybe maybe using my, this as my base here for the next uh, couple of years then. Yeah, yeah. well, that would be amazing. Mm. Uh, yeah, me and uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners are looking forward to see the videos from all around the places. <laughs> that's why I have the question. Um, and yeah, that's great. Uh, that's great. Yeah, I wish you best of luck with that. Thank you so much. Um, one thing that we ask to everybody, since this podcast is like very international and I interview uh, people and location independent people from uh, basically everywhere, I have to ask you, uh, personally, what are the things that you love and hate about Lisbon? Yeah, I uh, appreciate that. So uh, things that I love, people feel, seem very friendly and very uh, open, very welcoming, great level of English. Uh, I never really feel like I'm a, a tourist when I'm at a restaurant where the owner is obviously like old school Portuguese, you know, and they're just very friendly and welcoming. So really, really love that. Um, I used to hate the fact that it's such a hilly city and there's no order to the square, the, the, the roads at the beginning and gonna, you're going to slip over and because it's all cobbled because it's an ancient city, it's second oldest city in Europe. So it's like, it's all built, rebuilt, 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 different eras. But now I love that. Now I describe that as that's Lisbon. It's beautiful angles. So it's actually colorful angles because the buildings are colorful and things like that. So now that, that, that hate is a love. What, what, I, what I hate about it actually is something I haven't experienced yet. So now I have a lot of friends here now who I've met recently who are, uh, who've lived here for a while, who, ha you know, who rent proper flats, like I'm Airbnb, right? And they, they talk about bureaucracy. Bureaucracy here is apparently really difficult to get anything, getting a bank. You know, you basically just pay for a lawyer. You two, three thousand euros to get anything done. Basically, it's like you have to pay for a lawyer um, to just sort it for you in in the local language and things like that. So I've heard it's very bureaucratic, and you know, it just takes a while to get anything. And people, I've heard that in those sort of you know civil servant industries, you know, as in the people who work for the government and stuff, it's like. You know, they're just, they're there until the time that they need to be there. No, no one's going to go the extra mile for you. I've also heard that about, you know, just in general, like no one's going to think how they could help you a little bit more or, or whatever. They're just there to work, you know, nine to five or whatever. So I've heard that. Bear in mind, I haven't experienced that so much yet. So I can't say that for myself, but I have heard that that is a really shared pain point with this, with this country and the city. 
Um, having said that, you know, um, I think like anything is a trade-off, right? Like you can't have it all, right? You can't live in London, but live by a beach. You can't live in New York, but, you know, have Parisian culture, you know, like, so you're in Lisbon, you have beaches 10 minutes away. It is beautiful. It is idyllic. There, it's things cost, uh, less, not like actually crazy amounts less. Like it's not actually sort of like going to Greece or something on some small Island. Uh, it's mainland European prices. It's just not that much cheaper, but uh, you know, lifestyle, living standard. People are very friendly, welcoming. You you have the beaches nearby, and there is business here. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it makes sense, yeah. But I guess coming from Estonia, like we've been here for five years, and it's like everything happens online here. Just a couple of clicks. digital. Yeah, yeah, very digital. And I think it's gonna be great kind of a challenge for me to be there and experience this different kind of uh, world. Well, let's see. Things are relatively digital. I mean, you, you you might still have to buy a train ticket with a with a card. It doesn't like a physical physical thing. But um, you know, I haven't tried the app here yet. If they have that, even so, I believe it is digital in some areas. But in general, it is also a little bit underdeveloped in that. Space. Yeah, sure. Um, one follow up question that I have: uh, You mentioned that you like comedy. Uh, who's your favorite comedian? It has to be Trevor Noah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm South African. No, I mean I love I love uh, yeah, I love Chavano. Um I also like uh what's her name again? Uh, uh, Nikki Inglesia uh, and all those um Jimmy Jimmy uh, Jimmy um Jimmy Carr and all those classics. I mean, yeah. And then I have to throw this one in there for my buddy because I do a bit of startup comedy with a guy called um, Christopher Solis. He was the one who invented that really hilarious pony pitch. I did a spoof with him for April Fools. Uh, where I pretended to play a, I pretended to be a VC called Brad Longtail of Anais and Horsewhips. Uh, yep, came up with those terrible names, and we did a spoof video. And we're going to do more of that now, actually, to bring some kind of comedy into the world. So I'd like to say he's also one of my favorite comedians, Christopher Solich, Christoph Solich, sorry, from Berlin. Oh, amazing! I'll, I'll definitely check it out. The OG startup comedian. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, yeah, my favorites are actually Trevor Noah. I really like him, and also yeah. uh, Nate Borgazzi from Tennessee. He has his own. Mm. Yeah. Very nice. All right. And the final question that we actually ask to everybody is uh, what would be your advice to all the people who really want to be an entrepreneur, who have their idea, want to start? But probably you have said this a lot before, but yeah, what would be your advice to these people who are shy? Perhaps they don't know how to start. They're not in the right environment, and but they have this like passion and feeling that they really would like to be like this entrepreneurs. Uh, what you I have three things, three things, actually. Number one, understand what entrepreneur you want to be, because there's a lot of brainwashing by media in our industry that every entrepreneur, you know, you need to be this billion dollar scaling exit VC funded founder, right? Um, and that is incorrect, because if you want to be location independent, you can sell a service, or you can create a product or something like that, or your service could be a product, or you have an e-shop or something like that, right? Um, you could do anything, anything like that. And, and you're effectively an entrepreneur because you run a company, whether it's, you know, and you, but you, you are the asset or you sell an asset of some kind, right? Uh, and that's like a lifestyle entrepreneur, right? So understand what type of entrepreneur do you want to be? Because do you want to be in the press? Do you want to, because they entail very different things. Like a lifestyle entrepreneur has the potential to earn anything from 50,000 to $500,000 a year, you know, depending on obviously who you are and what you do as a single asset without having employees automating everything selling a service or selling a product, right? Um, and that is an amazing lifestyle. You can live very well on 50 or 500,000, right? You know, you can do amazing things with that. 
Uh, and you might not be in the press and you might not, you never raise money, but you control everything, right? And like the, the benefits that you gain from that versus the, the sacrifices, of course, um, versus being an entrepreneur of a scaled, scale, scaled or a venture-backed scaling up company, you have to raise money, you're doing the dance, you're, you're, you know, you're hiring and firing. It's a whole different stress and reward. So I try to understand like what 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 type of entrepreneur do you want to be? Do you just want to be your own boss and you want to travel? Well, then be a lifestyle entrepreneur. We'll set a service, uh, be a freelancer, effectively, right? Or do you want to like you know be building a company and have a you have to have a location and you're hiring and firing and scaling and growing and doing something innovative, right? And both can lead into each other, by the way. So you can start on one path and that's not making a decision for your life. You know, you can be a lifestyle entrepreneur for ten years. And then all of a sudden you build a product out of a brand or something like that, right? And then build a scalable, you know, uh, invested company, right? Casey Neistat's an example of that. Um, Nas Daily is, a, is an example of that. Started out on their own building a brand. All right, so that's number one. You need to identify what type of entrepreneur do you want to be. Don't follow what everyone else is doing. Don't because you're surrounded by mates who are like CTOs and fintech companies think you need to be that. No, do what's right for you. Secondly, don't rush. Yeah. Again, media brainwashes us to believe that we all need to be entrepreneurs by 30 years old or we didn't succeed. And you also believe that there's a ticking time bomb. There is not. The only ticking time bomb is the reality of an opportunity cost. Yeah, if you go work in a bank, and I have friends who work in banks who would like to be entrepreneurs, but they're like, you know what? I have it too good right now. I've done five years. I've gone through the shit. Now I'm getting paid the big bucks to sit on my ass. And I get that, the opportunity cost. Also family, and, and of course, there are things that come into place, right? Uh, it becomes harder the longer you wait. However, the average age of an entrepreneur globally is 42 years old, and you are more likely to succeed the longer you wait. Obviously, from a subjective and meta perspective, the longer you wait, the less people actually take the step because the, the stakes become higher and the opportunity cost becomes higher. But don't believe that you need to be an entrepreneur before 25. You know, fuck all at 25. Trust me. I started my first business after working in VC and doing, doing all these things at 28 and or 27. And, uh, and, you know, I still knew absolutely bugger all. And I learned so much in that time frame. go and work for a startup, find a mentor and, you know, grow and develop and learn with them over a couple of years and then pivot. And then they'll invest in you. Like I had, my mentor was a good friend, uh, who was also an entrepreneur. Anyway, that was the second point about don't rush. Don't feel like societal pressures need to need to force you to do something now. And lastly, understand your known unknowns, understand what you're not good at. Because there's a habit of every jack-of-all-trade entrepreneur in the beginning to do everything. And you need to. And it's good to understand things. But the second you can afford to uh, hire someone into that role, do it in a heartbeat. The second you also understand the value of your own time. Because sometimes spending time and energy and effort on some, some task is not worth it. Pay for it to be automated. Because your time and energy over two hours making a presentation for your, for your, for, you know, for your tomorrow's pitch deck with your investors is better spent than you like faffing around with the template on you know mailchimp for the email that goes out tomorrow pay someone on fiverr 20 dollars to do it your time is worth 200 dollars you know so understand the value of your time and understand what you're not good at and when you can automate that or hire someone to do that as soon as possible amazing i'm sure everybody will be really inspired after this uh, three tips uh, yeah, and I, I really agree on the second tip, actually, because, you know, more you wait, you have more industry knowledge and experience. And then, I mean, you're an expert. So when you start your own company, that's it's easier for you. Think about pitching someone at 21 versus 31. Yeah. Like I'm 30 now, right? And, you know, this 
I never had too many issues of people not dis- disrespecting or not, 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 not believing in me or anything like that. But, you know, definitely age plays into that. Like, what can someone know? You're not going to be that kid who created that, you know, e-mobility e- e- company uh, that, that raised billions. You know, like most people aren't those people. So, you know, um, have, believe in yourself for sure, but also like have a realistic perspective of things. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> Um, thank you very much uh, for being guests. It was uh, really, really amazing to have you here on the podcast. Um, I'm a big fan of your content and uh, yeah, I'm very excited to uh, be able to talk to you. Uh, thank you very much for listening. See you next time. I'm done. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Ciao. Thanks for listening. Follow us on your favorite social media and check out the next episode. Ta-da!